He said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden. In a sense, in the beginning, broad was the path that led to life. And the yeah. only thing that would lead to death was so narrow, it was as narrow as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But here's what's amazing. As narrow as that one tree was to bring forth death, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree and became fallen, now everything is reversed. Now, narrow is the way of life and broad is the path that leads to destruction. But ready for this? In order to get out of the broad path of destruction and back on that narrow life, it's as narrow as another tree. And the other tree is the cross of Calvary. And when we go through the cross of Calvary, we go through a narrow way to get back into the Broadway of life everlasting. Hey, welcome. This is the You Can Learn the Bible podcast, where we try and equip you in the shortest time possible, 30 minutes, to get the key insights of the Bible. I am Bodie Quirk. Here with me is Pastor Joey Rosek. And together, we are right now in episode three, which is where we are trying to help you understand the big picture of the Bible, the Bible as a whole. So what we have done is episode one, we kind of just gave a little bit of an introduction. So if you haven't listened to that, that's how we're gonna kind of go through the format of each of these episodes. And then in episode two, the last one, we did the story of the Bible as a whole. So if you've not listened to that, the structure that we introduced in that last episode is the structure that we're going to continue to follow in this one. So Joey and I have come up with a purpose statement that we want to read. In fact, I'm going to let him go ahead and introduce himself. Just say hi. And you get to read this, Joe. Tell us why it is that this is so important. Then we'll kind of touch on some of the structural things and where we are going in this episode. So here's our definition. Would you read it? Give us any insights and, and then keep us going there. Yeah, we're going to continue this journey through the Bible in zooming in on these really key points of the meta narrative of the Bible. And really, the focus and the goal and our objective in all of this is understanding God's eternal purpose revealed through the unfolding of God's story as we connect the Bible's most significant turning points. What we always want to remind you of is the Bible's a living book and it's powerful. And so, as we look right. at the turning points, it, it also makes points to turn our hearts. God is speaking to us all the time, and uh, we're going we're gonna to zoom in today on uh, the early portions of, of how we break down the Bible in, in the narrative. So this is going to be a great episode to go a bit deeper than where we went last time, right, Bodie? Right. So what we're going to do is that we introduced this framework last time, this four quadrant framework that we had given each one kind of a key theme, right? So we talked about the covenant conceived and each one, we have these four turning points. And just to review, a turning point is a moment in the story of scripture where things are different from that point forward. And so what we want to do is we did all of them in episode two. We talked about the entire story of the Bible in light of how these key turning point moments shifted the narrative from that point forward. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. Because what we want to do is we want to go one level deeper and we want to spend an episode on each of these four quadrants. So for example, we have the covenant conceived where we talk about God and the creation order, the creation and fall of mankind, the flood in the new beginning and the call of Abraham. Today, we want to just pause and unpack these four turning points, what makes them turning points and why they are so important to understand the full story of scripture. Then in our next episode, we're going to do the same thing for quadrant two, the covenant confirmed. The episode after that, we're going to take the covenant challenged and then we're going to do the same thing for the covenant completed. So in our first six episodes, we have the introduction, the full Bible, and then each of these episodes on these groups of four 
hoping that by the time we get to episode seven, which will be Genesis, we're going to go from there. We're going to go book by book. You have a framework to put these books in. That's the goal. Amen. Amen. Yep. So as we dive into this covenant conceived, what's so important is for, to remind you, a covenant member is a holy agreement between God, the creator, and we as mankind, his creation. And as we dive into this covenant conceived, we start with God. I mean, the Bible opens up Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now Genesis, the book that it's contained in, is the word Bereshit in Hebrew. It means origins. God is explaining to us the foundations of all truth that everything is built upon. And it's interesting that in the very first verse where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we see in the beginning is time. Heaven is space, earth is matter. God is outside of time, space, and matter, and yet working inside time, space, and matter. And he's created us out of all the creation. We discover everything that God creates is a reflection of his glory. It's a representation of his character, his divine attributes, and the sum total of all of his divine attributes and perfections make up his glory, his mm. kavod, his weightiness, the very presence of God, which makes him unique, which is his holiness. And so as we look at a holy God who displays his glory, we know the heavens declare his glory. We know that all of creation, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen and understood by the things that are created. Even his eternal Godhead and power, leaving all men without excuse. And then we get to mankind and we discover that out of all the good things that God made, we were the one part of creation that God says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Right. And we discover that we are the Imago Dei. We are the image of God, the God image bearing people who represent God's, in a sense, triune nature. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we were created spirit, soul, and body, and we were made to reflect the glory of God. And that's what we see just in the first chapter of the Bible. And it's awesome, right, Bodie? I mean, to think that right. God chose right. to create us, not because he needed to create per se, God is complete and sufficient in and of himself. He's sure. the unity of the community of the triunity of God, but right. he chose to create us because he's so good, so loving. It's an overflow of who God is to want to borrow, create, bring into being that which did not previously exist. It's an awesome thing. And right. we are the highest point of that in the And that's world. why, exactly. I'm glad you said that. That's why we separate these into these particular turning points, because God is, himself is the foundation. As you said, in the beginning, God, if you can't get the first four words, don't keep reading because the whole thing is about right. him. But That's right. God, he creates the creation order, but that is a separate moment than the second one, which is the creation of man. Now, the fall of man, I, we've grouped these together because the fall happens so quickly, at least in the pages. We don't know the exact time, but what matters is that, as Joey said, mankind is separate from the creation. The creation exists as a backdrop for mankind to thrive. We are the top of the creation order, but we are not meant to be God. God is God and we right. are meant to co-rule with him. And so he gives us a command for dominion that he does not give to any other part of the creation order. So understanding our role in that is 
really important. And then we're understanding the fall. And of course, that's going to set up the flood. And then ultimately, we'll get to the call of Abraham. But Joey, so if you and I are sitting down, because again, every episode is like, we're imagining we're sitting down with somebody and we've got this short time. What are the key mm-hmm. things from that first one, God in the creation order, anything else that you feel like someone absolutely has to know just about that before we get to man and the fall, we'll get to that one. What do we need to make sure that we understand about that first one, God in creation order? Yeah. In one word, first of all, it's all good. Everything mm. about God is good and everything about the creation order is good. We discover that mm. God, when he created man, he made him after his image and likeness, but he did the same with the woman. But do you notice when you get to Genesis 2, there's a shift where the name of God is no longer Elohim in Hebrew, but it's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's the Lord God. It's the right. covenant name for God. It's the covenant and in name. Genesis 2, 4, as you work your way forward, you discover God's zooming in, kind of what we're doing in the program. He's zooming in creation. And he's telling his redemptive story. And I think it's really important to note that when God said to man, it's not good, it's not because he did something wrong. It's because he wasn't done yet. And he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. And if you remember at the end of our last summary of the Bible episode, I said how as God put Adam to sleep in the dust of the earth that he created him in, it says that while he was in that sleep, out of his side came a bride. He made a woman after the likeness of Adam and he brought the woman to him. And he said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. And I think it's really important we hone in on this. God is very specific in the way he designs and creates things. Everything's good. And he intended that the woman would be made from the side of Adam because it parallels and foreshadows the way that Jesus who's going to be the redemptive man, the last Adam, he will be put to sleep, so to speak, or lifted up on the cross. And out of his side would come a bride, which is the church that we are now a part of that represents God's eternal purpose to unite himself with us. I think that's a really key point about God and creation is to even hone in on the order of it, the goodness of it, and the glory revealed as the woman represents the man, as the church represents Christ. Oh, it's so good. One of the key things as well is the function. Our job is to rule with God. There is a dominion covenant that is given to us that we have a real role in, in managing God's creation order. God sets the stage and then he creates man. He says, here's what you are to do. We are to do this together. You are my ambassador here. You represent me as you beautifully said. In fact, I heard somebody once say that the image, sometimes kings would play statues of themselves in regions that they were over as a visual reminder, as an imago of the fact that th- mm. it's their region. And that's what God has done. That's what people are. We are the ones created to co-rule this creation order with God. That's why we mm. exist. We exist to know him, but also it's not just that's, that's the end of it. We get to do stuff. We get to be a part of what God, this amazing creation that God has made. And we have a a limited authority to rule over it underneath God's larger sovereign authority, which is a really beautiful thing because God wants to endow us with a limited sense of authority that we can actually, hey, you're in charge of this, go. And of course, that's there's a cool sense of agency and beauty and trust in that. But of course it breaks because of sin, which we'll get to next. But it's a really important function that we said that we don't just, we're not just here just to do nothing. We are here to do, to help, to co-rule with God. Amen, Bodhi. And I think it's important to note in the beginning, when God created everything, there was no death. 
There was no disease. There was no sickness. There was no sorrow. There was no division. There was no destruction. All of these things come about because man disorients himself from God, rebels against God. And I think that brings up this second part, creation and the fall of man. Perhaps it would be good to note that the last recorded words in chapter two of Genesis is that man and woman, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. In other words, there was was nothing to be hidden from God. Nothing to be hidden from God. Nothing to misrepresent God. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Man was walking in light with God. There was a transparency, a clarity, a unity. But something happened and we, and we must kind of recognize that the fall that's introduced to us in Genesis 3 presupposes another fall that happened in the heavenlies, in the right. spiritual realm. We, we discover that there was a beautiful cherub that covered known as Lucifer. He falls from the heavens, so to speak. He wanted to be worshiped. And he wanted his image, his imago to be up on that Mm -hmm. pedestal, so to speak. He wanted to be worshiped like God, but he had this pride in his heart. God identified it immediately. And hell was then created for the devil and his angels. And when he fell, he saw that mankind was created in the image and likeness of God. So he immediately, subtly and craftily goes into the garden of Eden, which is the garden of delight. And he whispers to Eve, he cunningly says, has God indeed said? And those words in the form of a question is how Satan is still working today. He wants us to question the authority of God's word and to challenge the integrity of God's love for us. Satan almost suggested to Eve that God is holding back on you and that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree that God says you cannot eat from, God says, you'll die if you eat from it. Satan lied and said, you will not die. And he ignored the fact that we were already made in the likeness of God and suggested to Eve that she needed to eat this tree to be like God. And I think there lies so much of the heart of what is wrong in our world because Satan is sowing thoughts that are contrary to God's mind. And when we commit actions that are against God's will, we sin. And Mm -hmm. sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. The moment Adam and Eve ate the forbidden tree, spiritual death began. And the process of physical death is now conceived. And that's what begins to happen. And that's what, that's why this is such a turning point. When sin enters, all of a sudden mm-hmm. there's a broken version of an original beauty, right? And so now everything right. has to be, is going to be in light of, that's why this creation of man is so important, but the fall changes the trajectory completely. And that's where there's a long time conceivably between the flood and the fall. But what's, what scripture wants us to get is that the one being who was designed to co-rule with God and represent him well, is the same being that is completely rebelling and ignoring and opposing God in every single way. So we see that sin begins to explode amongst mankind, not righteousness, but sin and rebellion and wickedness to the point to where God has to intervene again. Okay. And so let's talk about the flood. When we talk about the flood here, of course, God raises up Noah, a righteous man amidst an unrighteous generation, which we're going to see this theme go through the Bible, but he calls Noah. Noah finds grace. Yeah, go ahead. And Bodhi, I think as we get into this flood scene Mm -hmm. uh, and we think about God washing away the sin of the world, perhaps an insert is really helpful here. Hit me, I'm ready. 
God speaks from heaven right after the fall. When Adam and Eve are naked and now they are ashamed and they're aware of their lacking of the glory of God being represented and they hide behind a fig tree and they sow fig leaves Mm. on themselves. And I think the sowing of the fig leaves is a representation of self-imposed religion where we in our own self-sufficiency seek to do something to cover our guilt and shame. And much of man-made religion does the same today. We create our own standards and our own way of trying to clean ourselves and cleanse ourselves, but we cannot do that. And it's interesting that Genesis 3 has God saying from heaven, where are you? Mm -hmm. God doesn't ask the question because he doesn't see Adam. He doesn't ask the question because he doesn't know where Adam is. He asks the question so that mankind can confess their sin and make known what they're trying to hide. And I think that's what sin does is it causes us to hide. And the Bible says that God saw that the heart of man was only evil continually in Genesis 6. Mm -hmm. And so he's now playing off the idea that we think we're hiding, but God sees the intentions of man's heart that it's only evil continually. So there goes into the flood. I just wanted to share right. that insert. No, I appreciate that. That's what's fun is that we don't, we're going to go in order, but what's so cool is that there's one thing you say is going to trigger something else. We have a little bit more time sure. and freedom to do that. But that's the idea is that mankind is in this broken state because it's like we are still made in the image of God, but our desires have been fractured. And so now we want things we shouldn't want and we do things we shouldn't do, but God has not forsaken us. See, the covenant is still in play. God has made, he has covenanted himself to us, even that this, the first covering of sin in the garden was a sacrifice of an animal. Part of the creation order had to die to cover, to go to, to replace the fig leaves that mankind covered themselves with to a covering that God himself would use, which is going to become yeah. a wonderful theme that we will see culminate in the covering of Christ permanently for sin, right? Who, who provided so the in, sacrifice, Modi? Yeah, God, God did. provided the yep. sacrifice. He yeah. clothed Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal that he himself had to be, have sacrificed. And we will see that theme later on when the mm-hmm. Lamb of God takes away the sin yeah. of the world. Beautiful. What's cool, talk to me, Joey, about Genesis 3.15. I want to make sure, it's a small detail. We want to keep moving here. But Genesis 3.15 is important to understand in this context. Explain it in a couple sentences, why it's so important. Sure. It's called the Proto-Evangelum, or in Latin, the first mention of the gospel. And what it essentially is, it's God speaking to Satan after the fall, and he tells the serpent that as a creature, he'll crawl in its belly, but spiritually speaking, Mm -hmm. he would eat dust all the days of his life. Man was made from dust, and God's going to put enmity between his seed and, I'm sorry, her seed, the woman's seed, and Satan's seed. And her seed is the prophetic revelation of Jesus, who's going to come into the world as the seed. And this is really important because God will pick up on this when he calls Abraham. But what's powerful is that it says that he shall bruise the head of Satan, but simultaneously Satan will bruise the heel of this seed. We'll discover that if the seed is Christ, Jesus was bruised for our iniquities and by his stripes we are healed. That's the gospel right there. There it is. And we're going to learn that in in Isaiah about an event that happens hundreds of years later, but it is already here. So what we, again, we want to constantly emphasize are these connection points that the Bible has. The Bible is a beautiful tapestry. It's a network. 
But let's keep moving. So sin starts raining. It's so bad that God has to wipe the earth clean. So he basically calls Noah to build a boat. And in there, he preserves two of each of the animals, the probably the, the representatives of each animal group. People think we don't know exactly. But the idea is God is trying He's to preserve kind. what he can. He's kind. Thank you. Yes, that's a better phrase. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. he restarts. Any details, Joey, that you would like to talk about the flood itself with the limited time we have and the restart, because God restarts humanity from Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. But the flood is actually an act of grace as much as it is an act of judgment because God never punishes righteousness. He only punishes wickedness. So he preserves, so Noah was a righteous man. He preserves him with the ark being a picture of the cross and he wipes out in fair judgment the wickedness there on the earth. What do we need to know about that? And then how does maybe it connect to Abraham? No, we're still a little early on that one. What do we need to know about the flood and the restart after the flood? Yeah, I think we need to go right to Genesis 6, verse 8, where it says, but Noah found grace in the sight or the eyes of the Lord. You see, God always sees all things. All things are naked and open to God to whom we must give account. But God extends his grace. Grace is a love that is given without merit from us as creation. Mm -hmm. It is unmerited favor. And so what God does is he calls out a family, Noah and his three sons and their wives, and he tells them to build an ark. And it's amazing that we always see there's a building project throughout scripture, the building of the ark, the building of the tabernacle, the temple, eventually the church. But what God is doing is he's showing his redemptive plan again. Just like he he clothed yes. Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal, he's now right. preserving mankind and all of the right. kinds of animals right. by allowing there to be an ark. Now, the ark, you have to go into the ark to be saved. The ark mm-hmm. was God's provision at the time of judgment. In the same way, we have to go in Christ in order to be saved from the judgment to come. And so what the flood shows is God is able to judge the earth that he creates. He sends the flood waters, the fountains of the deep open up, water bursts forth from the ground. The rain is just one part of it, but the water is coming up from out of the earth and it's the canopy of water is breaking into the earth. Yes, And mankind is being washed away and so is the earth that he had dominion over. But because right. Noah yeah. found grace Noah found inside grace. of the Lord, right. God is preserving man. And he makes a covenant. The rainbow right. in the sky yes. is part of the covenant that God makes with Noah to show that he won't judge the earth this way again. And we discover that God is going to continue the redemptive plan. That's what's so powerful. That's where Abraham comes in. He's born of a household of idolatry. His father Mm -hmm. is Terah. And so I think this is kind of like the intro now of this fourth point, the call of Abraham, who's called Abram in scripture. And God is beginning to pick another man by grace to accomplish his redemptive plan through. Amen. It's so cool how, oh, that was so good. And there's so much we can't cover in an overview episode like this. But what we want to understand is that covenant thread, because God has made a covenant, he has bound himself to mankind. Every subsequent covenant that we're going to talk about, the first one, Joey already mentioned, the covenant with Noah is a reflection of the larger commitment that God has to people. So he doesn't mean he's not, he's not ever going to punish wickedness. He does, but God is not going to forsake them completely and entirely. He wants to offer redemption and ultimately restore the original purpose why we were created, which is to know him and to co-rule with him. But so in between the the flood and the new beginning, we now have Shem, Ham, and Japheth from different lines that we 
start to form. We see this, I believe, in Genesis 8 or 9. I'm not looking at it correctly right there. We know that there is an event called the Tower of Babel, which is an interesting event we don't have time to cover, but it reflects the same problem is that mankind is opposing the wishes and the will of God and trying to do what they want to do. God interrupts that and instead calls a single man, Abram, out of a land called Ur, which is modern-day Iraq, but then in between then it was known as Babylon, to leave his land. This is Now remember, this is a time of polytheism, many gods, but God himself speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to leave the land, go to a land that I will show you. And here we start to see the formation of what is known as the Abrahamic covenant, because God is going to call a single man to form a new nation and a people through whom he's going to continue this covenant relationship, but in a more unique and focused and specific way. The reason why these three turning points that we've already covered are important is this is what's called prehistory. This is the kind of thing where we can't date really any of it. And all of this happens between Genesis 1 and Genesis 11. But once Genesis 12, 1 arrives on the scene, Joey, the entire Bible changes. And it goes from really broad to very focused. And it starts with this man, Abram, as you said. What is the call of Abraham besides just leaving his land? What's the significance of it? And why is it so important? The significance, and you already alluded to it, Bodhi, comes out of a context where man's heart is worshiping other gods. You mentioned polytheism and the idea of believing in all these different gods and worshiping them. And if you remember in the Tower of Babel, we discover Mm -hmm. that man wanted to build a name for themselves. So they tried to reach a tower into the heavens. Some of that may have been to avoid a flood again, to get themselves high, but it was also to exalt themselves once again, very satanic seed inside of humanity, trying to push worship away from God and toward themselves. And say just really quick that it was the same impulse as Adam and Eve in the garden to do things their way. Yeah. And that's the recurring theme is that left to ourselves, we drift from God. We move away from God. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And Jesus will later on say, that's why we have to deny ourselves, take up the cross and follow him. But back to the narrative where we're at with the call of Mm -hmm. Abraham, we see that God is calling him out of a household of idolatry. And he's calling him in three different ways in this call. This is what's significant about it, is that in Genesis 12, 1 to verse 3, In this call of Abraham, there is a covenant promise that involves a land, which will be the land of Israel, the land of promise, the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. There's a covenant promise of a lineage. See, through Abraham will come his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then one of his sons will be Judah, Judah, which means praise. And out of that will be the obedience of the people. Judah, the lion's whelp, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will be the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one. And so you have a land, a lineage, but you also have a lifestyle. God is going to explain his desire for mankind through what he reveals to Israel, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the prophets. All of that will prepare the way for Jesus, who will fulfill it all so that we can live the life that Christ has called us to live. So it's a beautiful picture. The call of Abraham, Abraham's the father of faith. And everybody who will believe after Abraham will become sons and daughters of faith. And the faith is in the seed, which was promised in Genesis 3.15, that would come from the woman 
that would eventually be Jesus, born of a virgin, and who will bring right. salvation to the world. So, you know, Genesis 11 is man doing things man's way. That's Genesis right. Genesis 12 is God doing things God's way. And they Amen. are entirely different. And one of the things that Amen. we will begin to see is that God's way is not usually, <laughs> read never, man's way. <laughs> and it's, there's right. always a question of, will you trust me? I think the number one question in the Bible is for us always is, do you trust me? Because what we see is there, as you mentioned, there's a way that seems right, but its way is death. Noah first trusted God. Adam and Eve did not, and they suffered the consequences from it. But Noah found grace, and Noah, God asked Noah to build a boat, and he had never seen rain before. God asks Abraham to leave his land and doesn't tell him where he's going. In the same way that Jesus, and those for us in Christ, says, do you trust me in your life where you are at right now? Amen. So there's such a beautiful connection. But if if we want to get one thing from the call of Abraham is that this is somebody that if God had never, had not directly intervened, it never would have happened. But because it did, it shifted the entire story of the Bible. And everything from Genesis 12, 1, all the way to the end of the Old Testament is, a, is as you beautifully mentioned, through this lineage, this covenant lineage that started with Abram and Abraham and then went to Isaac, his son, and then Jacob, and then Joseph. And like you said, then we're going to get to all of those in a little bit. But the call yeah. of Abraham was a reflection of obedience and talks about faith. Mm. Jump on in. I know that you got some good thoughts. Yeah. I think you gave a great way to summarize this whole first section of the covenant conceived, Bodhi. When you said, so Genesis 11 is man doing things man's way. Genesis 12 is God doing things God's way. Right. And Jesus would later say, broad is the path that leads to destruction and many find it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way of salvation and only right. few find it. What's interesting, and I think this summarizes all this section so well, is that in the beginning when God put man in the Garden of Eden and told him to keep it, to tend it, right? Everything was broad and it was good. He said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden. In a sense, in the beginning, broad was the path that led to life. And the yeah. only thing that would lead to death was so narrow, it was as narrow as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One, but here's one what's amazing. tree. Yeah. One tree, but here's what's amazing. As narrow as that one tree was to bring forth death, when Adam and Eve ate of that tree and became fallen, now everything is reversed. Yep. Now, narrow is the way of life and broad is the path that leads to destruction. But ready for this? In order mm -hmm. to get out of the broad path of destruction and back on that narrow life, it's as narrow as another tree. And the other tree yep. is the cross of Calvary. And when we go Amen. through the cross of Calvary, we go through a narrow way to get back into the Broadway of life everlasting once again. Isn't that a beautiful that is cool. picture? I've, yeah, it is. I've never thought of the reframe that you just gave us in quite that way because we've never experienced the original design yet. That's the challenge is that we were made in the image of God. We've never experienced life without sin. We've never experienced intimate fellowship with God in the way that we were originally designed to, but we will. The promise is there for those who are in Christ. And that's why this story is our story. And to know these turning points is to know the God of the Bible, who is your God and who is mine. He is the end. He is the journey. He is the goal. But knowing how he has worked for those that have come before us in the timeline is so important and it shapes our faith. There is so many incredible things that we did not have the time to cover. But if you could understand the role that God is primary, that he created the creation as a beautiful reflection of his power, he invited, uh, he created us, invited us in. 
We have fallen and rebelled. Things got really bad, but God intervened to protect, but also to judge. And now God is making a new way, his way, a way that nobody would have ever thought. And when we get later, Joshua, when they actually inherit the land that God promised them 400 plus years later, there's going to be God's way and it's going to be different. And the question we are going to continue to see, Joey, is do you still trust me? Because just because God has covenanted himself to us, he has given us the ability to choose to trust or to not. And so these four set up the entire story of scripture in a beautiful way. Any final thoughts before we talk about where we want to go in the next episode? No, I, I think we you covered it really well there, Bodhi. All the things that are wrong in our world, you're going to find is a breaking away from the foundations of this first yep. covenant conceived, the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Right. And what we can do is we can turn to the righteous one. His name is Jesus. Amen. And as we Amen. return back to him and reorientate our lives in Jesus, we help to restore and rebuild the foundations of our faith, yep. the covenant yep. that God right. in issued and praise the Lord, carried out through his son, Jesus Christ, right. the promised seed. Yep. And Amen. fulfilled. Yeah. And what's going to be fun is between now and then there are other unique covenants that build on each of these that we're going to start to see. So in episode four, so what we want to now look at is the covenant confirmed. So from, in fact, what I want to do is let me go back a couple slides here and look at all of them. So we have these four groups that we're working through. The covenant conceived, which we did today. In our next episode, the covenant confirmed, we're going to look at the patriarchs, Exodus and conquest, the tribes, all the way up to the formation of the nation of Israel and the three kings that led the nation all the way up until the split. What should our audience be expecting? What are some key just teasers or turning point details without going into it that we are going to get to talk about in our next episode? Well, I, I think you're going to continue to see how God extends his grace and how he raises up those who he calls to, in the case of Moses, he call the children of Israel out of Egypt and say, let my people go. We're going to see it in the judges as the Holy Spirit comes upon different men and women who God is going to use to continue his promise and covenant that he's made with Israel. And we're going to learn a bit about how the nation of Israel is such a picture of the spiritual life, how we see the rebellion right. of man continuing and how we have to keep reorientating our life back to God. Right. And so that's what we're going to get to see. And we're going to look at the patriarchs and learn some valuable spiritual lessons you're not going to want yep. to miss next time. Yep. So episode four, we're going to look at the covenant confirmed. Thank you for being here. May God bless you as you continue to read and study his word. And until we meet again, may we be people who walk in the spirit, love God with Amen. our whole heart and mind. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thanks. Amen. Amen.